better. Welcome to Do Better Podcast, a digital content hub from Asade, built for minds interested in doing better. You can leave your comments and suggestions on dobetter.asade.edu. Welcome to Asade Doers, podcast about entrepreneurs and innovators. Our guests today are David and Mark Rubira, co-founders of Polaru, and as well, brothers. So hi, Mark. Hi, David. Thanks uh, for joining, and thanks for taking the time to be in the podcast uh, today. Thank you for having us. It's, a, it's our pleasure. Thank you. Now, before jumping a little bit more into detail about, uh, you know, your story, etc., which will be a core part of the podcast, I'd like to always start with a quick intro about your company. So can you tell us uh, kind of uh, 30 seconds pitch style? What uh, is Polaro? What does it do? Polaro is a service hub for B2Bs, enabling full end-to-end management and payment control. What does this mean? We centralize every service, every bill, every SaaS into one single property. We reduce the costs of each of the services because we do bundling um, bulk buying. So we help you find the best deal so you don't overpay uh, on each of the services. And we do bundle payments, which means we could gather all your payments at different times of the, of, of the year and we put them into one single payment every single month so you have financial stability as a business. Uh, moving forward, then the... Uh... To me, one core question not that our uh, public as well wants to know about is um, going going backward. So what's the story behind this? You know, your brothers, you built a company together. Um, it was well studied different things, you know, so business law and, and engineering. What made you choose to become entrepreneurs? First question is, no, uh, have you always thought about uh, being entrepreneurs? And then uh, we'll hear a little bit more about how you actually decided to start Polaru. We can take turns for this as there is two of you. So, uh, you know, David, if you want to start. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's something that, um, you know, it's something that we've always had inside of us. Uh, we've always been the type of people that we wanted to get things done. We didn't like others uh, to do it for us. And, you know, we were already uh, 15, 16, and we were organizing events, private events, uh, parties, up to 300 people. We were making money out of that. And, you know, we were paying, you know, our expenses or our wants, that we wanted at that age. Uh, so it was something it was always fun to us. Uh, then growing up, it's something we always had in our minds. But obviously, uh, in our household, we always wanted to uh, achieve more and get more done. And, and Mark became an aerospace engineer. I became an international business lawyer. But that didn't stop us from, you know, having that fire inside of us of, you know, at some point we want to do something together. But, you know, as life is, you tend to get in a hamster wheel. You start to go into your respective fields. And at some point, something makes you make a decision. And either you take it or you don't. And in our case, uh, you know, Mark went to his boss and he's like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to start my own company. He left his job. He came to me on Monday and he's like, did you want to do it with me? You want to do what we always said we were going to do? And I said, you know what? But the worst thing that can happen. So I'm like, let's go. And yeah, um, like 24 hours later, we're sitting down in our parents' garage just with a blank piece of paper saying, let's get it done. And it's been an amazing roller coaster. It's never easy, but I would not change a thing. I think once you become an entrepreneur, you're always an entrepreneur. And it's something that it's, uh, it's not easy. It's not for everyone. But if you have that fire inside of you, you have that thing telling you you can do it. Just find someone who's going to go all the way with you and, and go uh, head first. Okay, thanks. Um, I mean, something we already heard, but uh, Mark, what about you? I think I wouldn't put it in, in any other different word. I think what David said is 100% right. For me, the trigger, uh, that, that spark that David said that, hey, you have to leave everything behind your career or whatever and start something new which is, a, you know, it's a big unknown, which is uh, entrepreneurship, was, uh, I think in my case, was David. He had an avalanche and he was buried under, under the snow for like 10 minutes. He passed out. And that Saturday when he came home, he was like, hey, I, I almost died this weekend because I, I was under an avalanche. And I think that is what triggered me on Monday to tell him, hey, fuck it, I'm leaving my job and I'm, and I'm starting this. Uh, because I could see, it's a typical story that I could see that, hey, like in, in literally in an instant, everything can go out. And I was like, well, my brother is, my brother could have died and I would have been just going to my job. I loved my job. I liked it. It was amazing. I had a great colleague 
which one of the colleagues is currently one of our co-founders, Sergio. Um, but I think that spark really triggered me and realized what he said, what David said, like, what's the worst thing that can happen? The worst thing that can happen is you start a startup, you fail, 99% of them fail, which is most, like, you have, you have to go into the mentality that most likely you're going to fail. And that's absolutely fine. But it's the journey of learning, it's the journey of what's going to happen, of how are you going to find and how are you going to deal with the struggles and the roller coaster, the emotional roller coaster, most importantly, of the startup, that you have to be willing to sacrifice that and be, be willing to go head first on that. And it's not easy. Not everyone can become an entrepreneur. I'm not saying it's better or worse. It's absolutely fine to have a nine to five job. It's much easier uh, roller coaster wise, but you have to have it in you. And for David and I, that also translates into sports. We've been doing companies since we were 16, 15, 16, uh, but we've been doing very hardcore sports together. We've done triathlons, we've done Ironman, we've done uh, obstacle courses, and it's a roller coaster, an emotional roller coaster to train and to s- sacrifice your body, your your, your training uh, for that specific race. And not everyone is made to do it, and it's really, really hard. And having someone there, there with you on the best moments, but also on the worst moments, that's really what really made us want to start something together. Because it's not about who you, what you know technically, and I think that's one of the biggest learnings I've learned as an entrepreneur, is the team. Like knowing who you have with you for the rest of the journey, no matter what you do, uh, it's for me, it's the most fundamental. And I'm fortunate to have Sergio as a co-founder and David as a co-founder for, for Polar. Wow. So there is, uh, I mean... Lots to unpack here. Uh, on one <laughs> side, no, a very strong, uh, so, so, uh, almost potentially life-altering, um, uh, or actually life-altering, uh, no, event that happened uh, to one of you, then triggering um, a decision later. But maybe let's start from that for for a second. So, of course, an extreme an extreme event, uh, life danger, but uh, in a way that uh, no, if I understand it correctly, that that made you think, okay, now we want we want to change our lifestyle. So. Uh, kind of build something versus working for somebody else. Um, then the question becomes, did you already have uh, the idea of what you wanted to build or was it more like, okay, we want to do something, let's figure out what we should do? I think uh, if I can answer uh, and, and Mark and follow, um, there's two types of, uh, of ways you can build a company. Uh, one day you sit down and you say, all right, let's find something that we can do and that we can improve on. And then the research starts or it's something that you've lived yourself, that you've experienced, that you've had in the back of your mind for a while and that you've started to, to, to look into and you've started to develop. And that happened. Uh, you know, Mark and I, we've grown in different countries. We've been changing all the time. And Mark with his girlfriend, he's changed at least seven times apartment with his girlfriend at that time. Now uh, his wife. And, and it was something that, he already started structuring. He will, he already started speaking to me about it. He started speaking to Sergio about it. And it was something that we already had. But the thing is, it's unfair to a lot of people to say that sometimes you just get up and you decide to become an entrepreneur in the sense of you get out of your comfort zone or your daily routine. And as Mark said, for us, uh, the fact that I was buried under an avalanche, you know, um, it's, it's a super intense experience. I do not recommend it to anybody. Um, you're buried alive. And it's not fun. It's super tough for the body, super tough for the mind. Um, but you have to not give up. You know, it's part of the experience of snowboarding in high altitudes or it's part of experience. And Mark making that decision 24 hours later of, you know, life's too short to not do what really drives you. You know, you can fail at, at, at what you're doing. You know, you might as well fail at, at what you really love. And for us, that was uh, getting something done together uh, with all the uncertainties. And uh, I think for us, we didn't start from scratch in the sense that we didn't know what we wanted to do. We knew there was a pain that existed. We knew that it was something that we could, you know, focus on, even though it was super challenging. And, 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 and basically, we started with what Mark already had in his mind in the fact that we had already spoken about it. For, for, for quite some time, but we never really made that decision. So for some people that are listening and are thinking, you know, I have to make the decision. For us, it was easy to make because it was a, I either do, either you do it now or what does it have to happen for you to make the decision? And for us, it was the avalanche, but for other people, it can just be go for it, you know, 
what's the worst thing that can happen? You have another line on your CV and you have another experience, uh, but it's it's not easy and, and you're going to go through tough times. And Mark, if you want to jump in, please go ahead. Oh, uh, perfect. Fantastic. Okay, so now, I mean, uh, and fortunately, everything, you know, uh, I mean, uh, p personally went well, so that, yeah. that we all are uh, very relieved about. But, uh, you know, about the entrepreneurship journey, kind of the key that you're mentioning is really this triggering event and say, hey, uh, you know, just start and then you figure out what to do a bit later. No? Mm -hmm. um, and then maybe let's let's talk about that um, in terms of the specific uh, project, no? in terms of Polaru. Uh, so you mentioned uh, this kind of came from from mostly, I mean, both of you lived in different countries, but uh, also Mark moved a lot. So uh, what was the initial problem you decided to focus on and how did that evolve later on into what Polaru is today? Because no? the journey is also rather long. Yeah, long and hard. I think... Um... The way it started, and I don't, I don't want to, I, I can go in depth as much as you want, but it all started basically when I was living in, when I was personally living in the UK. Uh, I was living there. I lived in different apartments with my flatmates, and it was just a pain in the ass to literally get all your recurrent expenses as a person uh, managing it. It was just hard. Like there was internet, and within internet, there's a hundred companies. There's gas, there's electricity, there's water, there's insurances, and you start to see when you when you leave your parents' umbrella and you start to live on your own. That there are so many things you have to deal besides your life and your focus. Like your focus is here, you want to go that way, but you got a lot of shit that you got to manage. And that part of me was just frustrating. It was a, it's a mess. And then the business side of me was like, hey, it's a massive market. Like there's a lot of money managing recurrent expenses, and large players are not doing a good job. Like it's just hard, and you have to deal with each of them individually. That was back in 2009. Uh, four years later, I graduated from aerospace engineering. I started a master's at Etabe. Uh, and then my brain started to see the world from an entrepreneurship point of view. So my engineering brain started to analyze problems, not from an engineering standpoint, like how is this made, uh, like things, but problems. And for me, it's exactly the same. Like there's a big problem. You got to break it down into little pieces and then solve it. So I used that frustration of dealing with recurrent expenses as a consumer. And I was like, there is a potential, like there's a potential solution because there's no one doing it to be the bridge between the consumer and all those recurrent expenses. And then I started to realize it's not just water, gas, electricity, internet. It's insurances, all the type of insurances. It's your Spotify, it's your Netflix, it's your subscription. And then in parallel, the world is moving into the subscription economy. Like every single company, every single industry is moving into the subscription because it's better, because it retains clients much, much more. Uh, the, the life cycle is much better. The lifetime value of the client is great. So there's a lot of reasons why you should move into the subscription economy. That's, that's, that's a no-brainer. Um, so we realized, hey, this amount of stuff you have to deal with is going to even get bigger. And there is no bridge. What is happening on a specific industries, like, for example, this is a simple example, house insurances is, is that some companies, some startups, some unicorns have gotten one of the verticals and have digitalized that. For example, house insurances. There's a company that does house insurances completely digital, the InsurTech. That's amazing. There are some energy companies that have become 100% digital. That's great. But as a consumer, I still have to deal with a lot of these. I don't care if I have 15 and they're all digital. I still have to deal with 15. And that's where we started to realize even more that our solution makes even more sense. We started trying to solve, we started solving this for consumers directly for people, but organically, we started to see that some of the people had accounts and we were managing like four five, six times more money for that person. So we started to dig deep and we realized that people were using this for their business. So we had one guy using it for the house so we could see data and we could see the financial cash flow of that specific person and the services it had. But then we started to say he also had like four other homes that were consuming much more. So our algorithm was like, hey, something's wrong here. We checked and he was using it for his business. So organically, we started to see businesses using our software much more than, per, than people. Why? And that's a, a, a learning is because as a person, you pay water, gas, you have this pain, but you don't have a trigger every month to manage your money. Why? Because you're busy living your life. Obviously, some people do the budgeting. Some people look at their balance every month in the bank. But you pay water, electricity, and if you don't check it, you don't realize. You're like, oh, shit, I'm, like, I'm down low at the, at the bottom of my bank account. Well, next month is going to be better. It's done. But as a business, every single month, you have to do the accounting. Yes or yes. Like You have the obligation to do that. 
So you have to be on top of your expenses. So you must solve that problem every single month. So start business started using us. And that's when it started this month, this year, actually, after a couple of, uh, after pivoting, uh, we started to see that, hey, businesses are really using it. And, and that shift of really paying attention to what your users are doing has been, has been great for us. Like we, we're really proud of that, of that, of being, of that, having that ability to really listening to your customer. So you really started by, by addressing a, a consumer problem, not B2C problem in which, okay, you have subscription, you have utilities to pay, you have subscriptions. Uh, they all come at different times in the month. So as well, the cash flow, it's, it's a, a little bit difficult to forecast for, for a consumer. Let's aggregate all of that. But then later on, that's kind of um, turned almost organically, as you were saying, into a more uh, B2B product, no? which, is, mm-hmm. uh, which is great and probably uh, also easier to, to, to scale later on. But going back for a second to the beginning, because managing utilities and uh, uh, pretty much everybody of us uh, has done it at a certain point in our lives. It's a pain, as you mentioned. So uh, I would assume it's also go, uh, it would also be a pain to integrate with them. So how do you start a company in which neither of you have any prior experience in the sector, right? So that it was entirely new, if I, if I recall correctly. How do you start from your uh, garage a company that helps people uh, manage their utilities payment? David, you're mute. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, sorry guys. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a, I'm gonna answer this in, in a very different way. Um, you know, when you think of an aerospace engineer or you think of a lawyer in our background, one of the things that we do every day and that we've been taught and that we've been, you know, uh, you know, schooled to do, uh, it's our expertise is we solve problems. We solve problems that have to do with people having problems with other companies or other people or, you know, and, and engineers, they solve problems, uh, from a technical perspective. You know, something's not working. Something needs to be fixed. We need to achieve something and we need to do it through numbers. So regardless of the fact that we were not from this industry, for us, it's the same thing as I would uh, get a case or Mar would get uh, a very specific, uh, you know, rocket science problem. It's how do you get together the best uh, possible, uh, you know, combinations to solve this problem? And, and, and pretty much that is, I would say nine or over a year being in our parents' garage, like literally learning about um, the whole structure, the whole industry, not just one, but every single vertical. And that's a learning curve. You know, it takes longer because it's way more difficult. Uh, having knowledge on the sector it will always help you and it's always better. But for us, the way we see it is, look, we have a problem in front of us. How do we solve it? We have two very different ways of thinking and how we approach solutions. But the key is, you know, will you keep pushing forward? A lot of people, when they think of success, they think it's getting it right the first time. And success is uh, failing 20 times and continue to push forward on the 21st. And, and, and I think it's that resilience of continuing to push forward. And Mark, if you want to go into detail on on the specifics, uh, I of think the solution. what was what was good what you mentioned, David, is, is absolutely right. But that was actually, I think, one of the benefits that we were not biased, we were not uh, deviated from a specific industry. So some of the challenges, people that are experts in the energy industry, we didn't even see it as challenge, not because we were smarter than them, not at all, but because we didn't even know about it, or because we were just from a completely perspective we were like no you could just go this other way and we've seen it a couple of times they were like oh we've never thought of it because you're so into the energy sector you forget about the experience from a user from a financial standpoint we take the challenges from a financial standpoint not from the energy sector so energy specialists are are, are really focused on something very specific like cost optimization people want to know exactly they're consuming three kilowatts five kilowatts on the energy sector people don't give a shit they just want to turn on the light turn off the light so it allows you to really tackle the problem from a completely different perspective. But all, always, 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 you have to have someone that knows a lot of that sector to really be able to tell you the depth. Whenever you you think you have a solution, make sure someone that knows the sector tells you if that's correct or not. So that's outside opinion of not being experts in the energy sector, for example. Energy sector in terms of selling energy. We're engineers, so understanding energy is absolutely easy for us. Uh, but really, the outside perspective has been really, I think, really key to really trying to solve a solution from a consumer standpoint, consumer being B2C and consumer being B2B. I don't, we don't, we don't care. At the end of the day, it's a consumer and having to deal with the bills. It's a financial managing time problem. It's not an energy measuring your electricity or your specific insurance 
or your specific internet uh, bill. Perfect. No, so um, super interesting, and I think as well <clears throat> the approach here. This is something that uh, I heard as well from other entrepreneurs. No, so this idea of sometimes uh, there is this concept of oh, you need to know a lot about uh, an industry to be able to build something, but in the end, by talking to other entrepreneurs, what I heard many times is. Really, if you never heard about it, uh, of course, you need to have certain skill set and a certain approach in terms of how you frame the problem and you know, your expertise in problem solving and your prior careers, of course, help. But really coming at it from a fresh perspective sometimes can really help building a solution that is not biased by, by prior constraints, no? uh, which is, uh, I think, as well, um, refreshing, uh, I would say, for the listeners in terms of if you, if you want to build something in an industry that's either like complicated, like... Uh, overall, the the energy and and the utilities, uh, you can do it. Of course, there is a learning curve, as uh, David was saying, and you need to learn about it. You need to have the effort, put put in the effort, uh, take your time, but it's doable. And then fast forward, so you were in the garage, you started learning about it, you you uh, put together some uh, some initial MVP. All of this was, uh, I'm assuming, bootstrapped uh, at the beginning. And then, no, can you can I, can you guide us a little bit through? Uh, what happened from your, no, on a company standpoint, from you being in the garage and kind of learning about the industry to where you are now, which is a fast growing uh, fintech yeah. company. Yeah, we, I think we I divided it into four stages. The first one is the one you just mentioned, which is, hey, bootstrapped in our garage, really trying to figure out what the hell's going on. How do we manage it? Doing it for ourselves. Uh, really understand, like just, we, we call it like the learning phase. That was like, that was phase number one, just learning, learning, learning what the hell's happening. How do we do it? Calling on the phone. Like I was dealing with things on the phone, literally. Like I, I'm one of the ones that has called more times <laughs> with, with a different utility provider. Uh, so I think, and I love that part. And learning that specific word is great. And when I was speaking to David and, and his, his friends that are lawyers as well, he would all, he would always mention that whenever they had a case, they would sit down with experts from a specific industry to be able to solve the case. Because as a lawyer, you don't know every single industry. So when they had to do when they had to solve a case for pharma, they would get specialists learning about pharma. Even as a consultancy, when I did some consultancy work, you don't know all the all the industries in the world. So when you have a problem for a specific client, you have to sit down and understand, I don't know, like like the cologne industry. I had to do a, a project for cologne industries. I had to understand how the cologne industry works. That learning phase for me is amazing it's one of the things i i'm really passionate about is learning things from whatever industry if someone that is passionate tells you teaches you something i love that phase. that was phase number one bootstrapped in our life from then we thought hey what's the best way to tackle our vision our vision is what i told you at the beginning and that's the same vision from the day one it is today which is recurrent expenses and how do we build a bridge to manage all your recurrent expenses that's the vision, like where we want to go. So our first step, and that's stage number two, was, okay, what MVP can we build to get us closer to that? The first thing we did, so, so the first step, so like stage number two, was create an MVP that manages only home utilities for PDC. So water, gas, electricity, and internet. That was our basic MVP. That was, okay, how are we going to solve this? So we created an MVP. It was an Excel. It was a really cool Excel. That would allow you to manage all your bills and understand how you're paying, what you're paying, what you're consuming, and that would optimize your, your, your savings, that we would do it for our friends. That was fine. That was stage number two. Stage number three was we realized and investors were like, hey, you have to step, we have to take this a step further. Like, it's not only water, gas, electricity, and internet, as we said, it's everything else from a financial standpoint. It's not home utilities. There's all the learning when you speak to investors that don't understand your vision versus what you're doing right now and think that what you're doing right now is your vision. And you're like, no, no, my vision is here, but I'm doing this now to get there. That's a lot of learning from our side. So what we said is, hey, let's move one step further. Let's try to tackle the problem so that investors and clients see that we're a financial company that manages all your recurrent expenses, not just home utilities. And that was last year, the beginning of last year, when we adapted or evolved the product, and that was page number three, into the B2C managing all your all your financial tech. We connect your bank and we manage all your all your recurrent expenses. Um, and I think last year and at the beginning of this year, we I personally, I think David and Sergio as well as found, as founders, we had one of the biggest learnings I've ever had as an entrepreneur and in my life as well, which is when you realize that your clients, no matter what industry, there are two things that are happening at the same time. One, you have to identify a problem. I know David Rovera has a specific problem. I know it because I've seen it. I've analyzed it. I understand David better than anyone in the world. 
But the second one, that throughout the first three stages of our of our of our development in Peru, we didn't realize is is Davide aware of such problem? Because if Davide has a problem, but he's not aware of it, I have two jobs to do at the same time. One is I have to make sure he is aware of the problem he has, and two, I then have to tell him my solution. So I have to do two things at the same time. And the first one, which is making sure David is aware of his problem, is exhausting. It's expensive and it's complicated. And that's why we as B2C, we were growing a specific pace, but organically, B2B started to explode. Why? Because if we translate the same two things to the B2B world, the client, our B2Bs, have a very similar problem than B2C because they're managing all your bills, but they are aware of it. Going back to what I said five minutes ago, they are aware of it because they have to deal with bills every single month. Automatically, look, you eliminate half or three quarters of all your effort to really make sure that if you have a problem because you don't know what you're spending and you're like, oh, well, yeah, I didn't even realize to, no, no, yes, I, am, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Like I have to deal with all my bills every single month. Automatically, that is so cool because you start to have so much positive feedback for clients and your conversation is now about your solution and how your solution is gonna make their life better rather than your conversation be like, oh no, I don't have this problem. Oh yes, I have this problem. Well, I have this problem, but just on Tuesday. No, but maybe sometimes it doesn't happen. Like the conversation just switches something so basic. And that was so cool. That's why organically, and that's stage number four where we are right now is when we pivoted. We then pivoted and we said, okay, let's grab everything we've done for the BBC and try with the minimum effort to adapt it to B2B. And so for the past months, We've been trying, we started to see the same similar growth we were getting with B2B, with B2C, sorry, when we were investing money online. And now it's 100% organic, zero paid marketing. And our growth is just going great with zero marketing, just word on word, people referring to each other, companies telling us, us on the phone, like it's so much easier. Doesn't mean that it's going to be like this forever. Obviously, now that's not 100% scalable, but you started to see a market fit. You're starting to see companies coming to like, yes, yes, of course I have this problem. But it's, just, it's not just David with his house. It's the guy saying, I have this problem, but I have 500 flats that I'm managing short-term rental. That guy automatically can give you 500 flats. You're tripling, quadrupling, duplicating, whatever your amount of clients automatically with just one phone call, one specific person. And that is having the ability, I think, to be humble. It's, it's very important to be stubborn, but if you're humble and you listen to your clients, you're always constructively criticizing what you're doing. I really believe in what we're doing, but I'm always paying attention to what is exactly the client saying. Is he just criticizing our solution because he doesn't like it? Or is there something very important that he can say? And that's phase four where we are right now. And I think it's just to add to Mark, um, this is what Elon Musk said, and it's one of our biggest mistakes, is wishful thinking. When you don't realize that what you think people one, because you've seen the problem and you've seen that they have that pain, you don't realize that they're not aware of it. And you're there pushing and pushing and pushing and trying to shove it down their throat. And you don't realize, hey, you know, sometimes you just need to realize what's going on around you and not just right in front of you. And 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 I think that was a learning for us. Fantastic, no? And I think uh, this also, it's uh, really pointing towards product market fit, as you mentioned. So when, when you all of a sudden need to stop pushing people into, into explaining to them uh, that they do have a problem, even though they do have it, uh, and rather they, they come to you because they, they feel it, uh, that that's much better position for a company. And that is proving as well your, your product market fit, no? Um, and so... I think one um, as well core thing that you um, you mentioned a couple of things, Mark, that I'd like to to highlight a bit. No, one is as well from the beginning. You mentioned your initial. So first of all, you you took your time to do a, a learning phase, which is uh, which is extremely important. Again, leveraging on your prior uh, career experience uh, of both of you. The other point was when you mentioned the MVP, right? You said it was an advanced Excel file. So. <laughs> It's nothing too fancy, now, which I think is great. And I think it's important as well to, to set the expectations, uh, not in terms of, uh, of wannabe entrepreneurs. When people uh, think about MVP, this is, uh, of course, a, a very hot topic. But no, sometimes, um, especially people that never tried, they imagine something very complex, whereas uh, it really is the minimum viable thing you can build. And in your case, this was 
complicated, but an Excel file that uh, helps manage overall, no, uh, if I understand correctly, um, the spending and then the recurring payments and optimize all of it. Yeah, I think one thing we've read from, if, if you go online on, on Y Combinator, one of the founders of Y Combinator called Paul Graham, one of the things he says in one of his posts is uh, do things that don't scale. I think that makes a lot of sense. But don't expect the things that don't scale to scale. It's not going to scale. You're doing something that doesn't scale. That's absolutely fine. But that really allows you to see if people want your product or not. If people want your product, it doesn't matter if it's going to be ugly or not ugly. They're going to use it because they like it, because they really have a problem. If you even then make it amazing, it's going to be great. But just at the beginning, just don't just make sure you have something that solves the problem in a simple, easy way. And that's your MVP. To do that, the way we like to think about it uh, is how you're solving a situation versus what you're actually doing. We are solving the idea, the, the problem of connecting to utility providers, to, to recurrent expense. How you do it or, or what exactly is it, the, the, the solution you do, do it could be an Excel, could be an amazing app that has artificial intelligence. There are many what's that you can do. There are many ways to solve the, the main problem. Find the one that is the cheapest, the quickest, and the easiest to build and to do and to test. The problem is the same. Just because you're doing an app that has artificial intelligence and connects to your bank versus me having a, an Excel doing it manually, we're solving the same exact problem. One is much more fancy, much more scalable, blah, 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 but it's going to take you ages compared to my Excel. The good thing about the Excel we built was that it allowed us to have it in one day, go to the streets, find someone, get it, uh, iterate, find it better. Obviously, we had its own problem, of course. You, from the outside, though, the client was seeing a Ferrari. For the inside, there was nothing. There was just two pieces of wood, and there was a guy little, literally pedaling. Obviously, he didn't see that it was an Excel, or the, or, or the client was aware that it was an Excel. He understood why we were doing it. So you really have to understand who you're going to target and, and who you're going to do the work with the MVP with. But it solved the problem. Another example is a feature, just to, to put a similar um, metaphor. If you're trying to, if you're trying to test a feature on your product, specific feature, for example, um, updating your bills automatically every single month, okay, the fact that the client sees the app that every single month the app is automatically putting all the invoices from all the services on the platform automatically, that has nothing to do with the fact that it's actually automatically or it's not automatic. You could have ten guys manually going every single service, downloading the PDFs and putting it into your platform. The client believes it's automatic. So the feature is there. How you're doing it on the back office, that has nothing to do. Sometimes where we get it, even where we get it wrong, is we mix both things. And we think, oh, the feature means automatic, so we have to do it automatically. No. What does the client see versus what's happening behind the curtain is just like a magic trick. Just pretend. Why? Because you want to test the functionality. If it works, then you'll see how to scale it. If it doesn't work, done, delete it. And that was something we, that we go back into the MVP and when we look at the MVP, it's so cool. Like even today, when we look at the Excel again, because we still have it there, Sergio, Didier, me, myself, Eloy, um, uh, David, all the people that have worked through the Excel, it's like, wow, it was so powerful. because it, It's exactly what we're doing right now. The only difference is the back office and what's happening in the front and the, and the front is much better now. But the core is the same. Right. Now, so there is this this <clears throat> extremely important element of kind of keeping separate uh, what is, uh, as you mentioned, the solution you're providing to the customers or to the users versus how you're actually delivering that. As long as the uh, user, which may or may not be the customer, because you split it on a platform, but in case of whoever is using the tool and thinks that the feature is there, then you can have, as you mentioned, a concierge model early on, which doesn't scale, but it's quick and easy to implement and to pivot. So you can have somebody delivering it and as well this is this is extremely important as a as a mindset not as a framework to build then later on scalable product because not building early on allows you to to save the time and money to then be able to push on the accelerator later on and really and really really get it um i mean we, we could go on forever but uh there is one thing i want to really uh hear from you as well no um which is related to the team you mentioned it earlier on uh, and i think it's as well uh, interesting, your, your your brothers, as well as you mentioned, you've been uh, doing business together uh, in the past or you've been running projects. 
mm, now you're uh, running a company. It's been, uh, or it still is now, growing in interesting projects. Uh, one initial quick question. How many people are now in the company? Right now, uh, directly working full-time with us, it's 15. Uh, we did not go crazy on, uh, on the numbers. Uh, obviously, people who are collaborating with us directly, then that's over 20. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, just, you know, different between lawyers uh, mm-hmm. and uh, designers or whatnot. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where we are right now. Okay, no? And so you've been started, it's, uh, it's been the two of you and then uh, the third co-founder as well joined uh, and you've been running this. Uh, I think there is very often this, uh, now this, this comment uh, in the entrepreneurship world, you know, not to start companies with, with spouses or, or, you know, family or a close family, whereas you've been now um, showing that, I mean, at least from, from what I perceive from the outside, that everything is going smoothly. I'm assuming there, there might have been some, some <laughs> bumps along the road, but what's your, what's your feedback uh, now about that, no? Uh, about running a company with your sibling? I think it, um, it's, it's a tricky question because uh, Mark and I were siblings, uh, we're brothers, but he didn't say this. We've been, we've been partners all our life. We've gone through the worst and through the best. We changed schools eight times. We were constantly changing. We had nobody. We had ourselves. And the commitment that you have to put on the trust between ourselves and knowing that uh, I could be on the ledge of a cliff and I know that I'm not going to fall because I have him next to me and he's going to grab me. I think that trust has to be absolute um, uh, dealt with respect. You know, there's a ton of respect. I know that he thinks different than I do. Uh, there's no egos. Egos are left behind. And it's not something that, you know, um, it's something that builds up throughout our life. And it's it's been taking us in this direction. So it's been easy for us to be able to handle this relationship of not having egos, of understanding that we think differently, understanding that different point of views make an idea better, and 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 knowing, uh, you know, that at the end of the day we have the same vision and the same drive, and we want to keep pushing forward. And if you're able to do that with your brother or whoever you have next to you, eventually you will succeed. Again, it's not about scoring a goal; it's about generating occasions, making the kicking. Because if you if you kick a hundred times on the goal, you'll end up scoring. It's not about uh, doing it right the first time. It's, it's continue to do it after the 21st time, you know? And, and I think uh, that's something that we've proven to ourselves doing crazy races, long as obstacle course races, and we've done it all our life. So I think for us, it would be unfair to compare to other type of siblings because every relationship in every house is different and we haven't had the life of commodity in the sense that we had everyone else and we had good friends. It was us. So either you deal with him or you're going to have to deal with him every time, 24 hours, you know? So, I think also, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, the founders of Stripe, the biggest fintech in the world and the biggest growing Y Combinator yes, startup. Yes, brothers uh, as well. Yeah. They're brothers. The best triathletes are brothers. Uh, Serena Williams and Venus Williams, brothers, or siblings, sisters. Um, there are three founders in a really growing financial startup in the U.S. There are three brothers. There's three siblings. So for I think from my point of view, was, brothers, you know, I think something that I see that I, I wasn't aware of it, but now I am, is that David and I not only share work. I would understand, or it would make more sense, I guess, that if David and I were just together when we work. And then when we stop working, he has his life, I have my life, we don't speak. We only share one single point, one single connection. If that day is good, then the connection is good. If that day is bad, then the connection is bad. David and I share probably my wife. We share everything else. We share my <laughs> dogs. We share my kid. We share uh, our hobbies. We share so many things in life that if just one of them is has a horrible day and I, I am literally... Um, shouting at David for one specific reason that he has one opinion I have another we have other connections and then we go play with my kid and that connection is so strong that we forget that that day we were just shouting at each other and then that night we go and have dinner together and then that evening we prepare Christmas for our, for our parents together so the fact that we have multiple connections one can go wrong but you have other connections to really support on that so it, it, it reduces the stress level if you're just one you and I Dave, David just see each other one specific time and that day it's wrong <laughs> But having multiple streams, just the same with Sergio. 
Sergio, our co-founder, we just don't share work. We have, we share so many other hobbies as well. So that really helps that your connection is not only stronger, but it has other, other columns to support the whole relationship. Okay, so really an extremely strong bond no, between you that goes way beyond work, as you mentioned. So, you know, in a way, should a company fail, which, of course, we hope doesn't happen, but that will be just, you know, one more adventure in a way, no? and then Absolutely. you will figure out what to do next. And then, yeah, okay. One final question before we go to the, to the, to the quick um, kind of uh, round of questions at the end. What's the name? Uh, what about Polaru? <laughs> What's the story behind that? So the thing is, David, you go. Um, yeah, uh, we started in our parents' garage, you know, right? And our parents' garage, you know, when you start a company, you're always thinking, what name should I put? And you think on the, nah, it doesn't matter, all right? Um, you end up throwing things on, you know, you start uh, building up. And we changed the name uh, twice. Um, but it got to a point um, where uh, the beginning when we started, our name was Bluebird. Um, uh, Bluebird, uh, when you go up in the mountain and there's like a big thunderstorm, not thunderstorm, like snowstorm. And in the morning you wake up and you go to the mountain and it's absolutely stunning day, sunny day. And there's lots of powder, you know, like lots of snow, fresh snow. It's called a bluebird day. You know, it's amazing. So for us, it was the analogy that the industry sucks. The whole service system sucks. Utility world sucks. But you're going to wake up in the morning. You're going to be with us and it's going to be a beautiful day. And so we start with Bluebird. Long story short, Bluebird is registered in every single country, every single city, town, and even household <laughs> everywhere in the world. So it's not going to be, it's not going to work. So we ended up moving forward, long story short, um, because we were in our garage, in our parents' garage. It was super cold. Uh, it, it, it was quite cold. So my older brother, he, he's a designer. He's, he's also a shareholder of us. He, he's helped us, uh, in, in, in the creative part. And, and he came to, to the, to the, to the garage and on the door, he, he drew an igloo, you know, because it was super cold. And every time we went to the office, to the garage, we said, we're not going to the garage. We're going to the igloo. And igloo in English is with two O's at the end. And so one day we're sitting down and we were thinking, we need to change the name. We need to do something. And nothing popped up. And suddenly we were there speaking. We said, you know what? Why don't we mix polar from the Arctic, you know, the polar and polar U? Because at the end of the day, you're in the Arctic and, and it's super cold. And you go into your, uh, you know, igloo and you feel home, you feel safe. And that was more or less the analogy with Bluebird as well. So we ended up having Polaru as a name and we ended up leaving the bird from Bluebird. Um, and with a combination came up to be that. So it's basically where we started our garage and our first logo, the bird. And that's how it all went in. And sometimes it's just something that you don't think about it. It's just natural evolution of, of what you, where you come from and, and where you're going. Absolutely. No? And fascinating story as well. So the, the iconic uh, kind of startup garage and then kind of it, it being called uh, and it kind of triggered a lot of things that, that brought the name, which I think it's a great name, easy to remember. I think everybody kind of uh, clicks. So it has all the characteristics of not easy to spell, easy to remember. Um, so it works uh, amazingly. Fantastic. And really interesting story. Uh, I you know for, for the sake of time, I will, <laughs> I have to, to move forward. Um, so I'd like to close all the, all the interviews, all the meetups with, a series of quick questions, so quick question, quick answer. Okay. Um, some are more personal, so if you want, you know, kind of, uh, you can answer. Some are more about the company, but uh, up to you how you want to tackle that. First one is a little bit about inspiration. No, so entrepreneurs are not only about doing, uh, but as well about um, absorbing information. So one core thing I like to ask everybody is, uh, what book are you currently reading? In my case, uh, it's 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 a different type of book. It's called uh, Dance First, Thing Later. It's 618 Rules to Live By. And it's basically a book where you can literally, there's 618 quotes. I think it's super um, powerful uh, because quotes are short and they can help you, uh, you know, develop your mindset. Sometimes, you know, right now I'm going to get the book. I'm going to split it in half. It doesn't matter what page. First quote that I'm going to read is uh, rule number 293. Ever notice how what the hell is always the right answer? Marilyn Monroe. It's it, it seems stupid, but then you have, I'll show you. You have like the whole book is full of just quotes, oh, okay. amazing people. <laughs> and, 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 and even though you're not reading like a novel or you're not reading something full on, there's some amazing learnings, uh, you know, compressed into something that you can remember. And it's an idea. 
and ideas move the world. And if you can, if you can really, uh, you know, keep those that are close to you, uh, you can really move mountains. Amazing. Mark, what about you? Uh, if you have I time have to read. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, <have a> <laughs> uh, I always, I always try to read. I, diapers, diapers. No, I always try to read like three books at the same time. One is very startup one, which is Blitzscaling. It's the last one I read from one of our uh, shareholders, Vidak Lee. He recommended it and I recommend it. Blitzscaling is, is amazing. There's one that really helps you work with your mind, which is called The Inner Game of Golf. And it, it's not because it has to do with golf, but it's the way your mind works. That's really good as well. Um, and the third one is just a novel by Juan Jurado, which is El Rey Blanco. I really recommend this amazing thriller story. And so I try to read three types of books at the same time. Wow. Uh, <laughs> we need to do another podcast on how you manage time, but that's, uh, <laughs> that, that will be a separate, that will be a separate episode. Hero <laughs> is a engineer. They make time. I'm telling you. I'm an engineer myself, but I don't have that much time. So I need, I need to learn more. <laughs> that's why I do the quotes. Okay. <laughs> It's just like more life. Get, getting, uh, you know, others people wisdom that, that can help. Yeah. Um, Changing topic a bit, what is a startup that you think right now it's extremely interesting beyond, of course, Polaroo? I would say maybe because I, uh, we're seeing a lot of uh, movement in the investment world in terms of crypto and other things. I think something that people might have not heard, and maybe it, it is a startup, but it's, 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 it's called Masterworks. And if it's just interesting, curious, it has enabled the common folk, you know, the common person to have access to fine art investing. That means these guys maybe buy, uh, you know, a 24 million uh, piece of art from Warhol and then they create a, a, a business, you know, they create a company that's holding the painting and they share, they divide the shares of the company into as many investors as want to invest in that art piece. Uh, maybe you just invest five, K or 10K or 1,000, you know, depends on, on the piece. And then you hold that. And obviously this type of art paintings, you know, after 15 or 10 years or eight years, they have returns on investment of 40%. And it's something that it's super solid. And sometimes when the world is a bit chaotic, a lot of people want to, you know, diversify their portfolio if they're investing, not just going crazy on crypto or crazy on, you know, the stock market because you don't know what's going to happen. Well, some people like to do this. And I just thought it was interesting to see how they got something that it's inaccessible to the consumer and made it accessible. And it's just something that popped in my mind. Absolutely. No. And uh, investing in art has always been one of the core areas for, for large investors, no? family business office, et cetera, but uh, very difficult for the, for the day-to-day consumer. So democratizing that kind of access is very Absolutely. interesting. Yeah. Mark, what do you think? Yeah I, three, yeah, I have three friends that I, li- I really love and they're doing great things. One is called uh, Uri Tinture. They're doing Belvo. They're just literally just exploding in Latin America. So all my congratulations to them. The second one is from uh, Jorge, Jorge Yuk, called Abacu, financial, financial planning for F- F&P. And the third one is a friend of mine from Chile called doing Chipax, uh, which is something similar to what we're doing at Polaru, but in Latin America. Now they've moved to Mexico, if I'm not mistaken. And he's also doing quite great. They're all three uh, Y Combinator entrepreneurs. So they're, they're amazing, amazing entrepreneurs. And I know them personally. So I, I, know, their, I know their business and it's, they're doing really well. Okay, great. Um, you actually mentioned already a little bit of this, but uh, if you had to give a suggestion to somebody that uh, wanted to start a company today, uh, What is a trend or an industry or an area that you think is extremely interesting to, to look into for new entrepreneurs? That's, you know, I think, uh, poof, um, that's not an easy question. Uh, looking at where we are right now and the whole movement, what I've seen with also friends who sold their companies and now they're getting into new companies, a lot of them are seeing that there's an absolute uh game-changing mindset or hype in the world of NFTs, non-fungible tokens. And at the end of the day, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a unit of data and, and there's so much going on in this world and people are still skeptic that if there's a time to look into it and, and try to see what type of business you can build around NFTs, you know, um, maybe the time is now. 
but obviously there's so many things that you can get into uh, and this is just one of them no yeah i completely agree like there's there's hypes i i remember the first startup i built was when it was the hype of iot and then there was a hype of iot investors loved iot then they moved into fintech then they moved into cryptos then they moved into nfts then they moved into whatever i think you can either fight something people are hyped about and then try to do it but that's i think that's a very you have to really meet the hype with your solution versus find someone something that people have a pain it doesn't matter what industry you have you have if you have something that has someone has a pain because you lived it or because you know they have a pain and you solved it it doesn't matter if there is a hype or there's no hype people are wanna 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 want to want to invest in it will want to invest in it because there's a hype and people want it so just find something what we said at the beginning i think which is a problem people have and a problem people are aware of and are looking actively for a solution and if you give them your pill they're going to buy your pill and take your pill and take your pill out of your hands because they need to solve that problem regardless of the industry yes and i think you as well now with your personal story what we were discussing at the beginning you kind of demonstrated that it's possible to to build something in an industry even without any prior expertise in that industry just by by learning and by by taking it with the right mindset Talking about mindset. Oh, um, David, to, sorry, yeah, go ahead. Um, I don't think the Wright brothers flew before they flew. Uh, I guess nobody knew how to flew. So at some point, someone that has no background on that, Elon Musk, he had no background in aerospace or automotive industry. He got it done. At the end of the day, if you have the resources, you have the drive, and you have or you surround yourself with a team that can get it done, uh, you know, anything's possible. Uh. Absolutely. And I think this is as well one core mindset uh, of the of successful entrepreneurs. So the, the fact that you approach problems this way many times, can it's already putting yourself one step ahead uh, of somebody that, that's really maybe just looking at it from a purely maybe financial return point of view versus actually trying to solve a problem and then kind of money follows in a way, no? Um I'm talking about management then and uh, and mindset as well. Um, is there an advice you oftentimes give but do not follow yourselves? Well, that's not I, mean, I, I think that's a very hard question, but in my case, because I know it's a, I, I don't want to say it's a flaw that I have, but I think it's something I definitely have to improve. I know the right path, so I really work every day towards the, that path. Is and it's and when you're an entrepreneur, it's even harder. It's focus. I think it's over or it's under understood. When when good entrepreneurs, when you listen to good entrepreneurs, not because I am, but I, when I listen to good entrepreneurs, they tell you the key to focus, 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 simplify, focus, focus, focus. You think, okay, I'm doing ten things, I'll do nine. That's focus. no, it's not. Focus means go from ten to one, from one to zero point zero 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 one. Like simplify, simplify, focus on just one very basic thing. In order to do that, it's not about getting all the things you have to do and see which are the best and which are not. No, 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 no. It's about getting which are the best things you have to do and choose one, which means that you are leaving behind four other great things that are that bring a lot of value and you're deliberately throwing those, things, those four things away to the trash. I think for me, at the beginning, I was like, no, these things don't add value. These things do. So I'm going to focus on the things that do. That's not focusing. Focusing is obviously you're going to throw away the things that don't have value. And the things that do, you're only choosing one. So you're throwing, and that's the hard part. You're throwing away four great things, four things that bring value. And you're as a team, and that's fine if I do it for myself. But when I have to convince David, when David has to convince me, when we have to speak to Sergio and the other 13, 14 people in the team, we're deciding what amazing things we're throwing away. And that is the hardest thing that I think I'm trying to do every single thing. And that really obviously has to do with focus, has to do with throwing away ideas, but has to do with prioritizing. And prioritizing is not doing a one, two, three, four, five, six list. It's doing a one list. Everything else doesn't matter. Focus on one single thing. And I think for me, that's the hardest thing that I try to work every single day. And that's translated to my personal life. I really leave it with my wife what you were selling, where what you were saying, I don't have a, my time is not amazing. So I really try to choose what is the best thing to do in what specific moment to really add as maximum value I can. In my case, I'm going to look at the other side of the coin 
and even though what Mark says is absolutely true, like, you know, if you get one good thing done a day, like massive thing, you're going to feel that you're getting things done and you're going to move forward. If you're just trying to do a hundred things, your focus is nowhere and you're not going to move forward. But looking at the other side of the coin, I would say part of what an entrepreneur is, is not disconnecting. And I think that's one of the hardest things to do. You have to be able to rest. You have to be able to focus on your health, on your, uh, you know, on, on your life. And you need to be able to do these things because there's two types of cultures. Cultures that have uh, taught us that resting way before we get to the exhaustion point is something good because you will deliver better. And then there's cultures where you have to be at the edge of you physically being able to withstand the pain to be able to actually be able to then rest a little bit. But if you get to that point, you're so exhausted that you break down and you're not only going backwards on, on, on delivering, but you actually get into a, a phase where you're really not moving forward. And I think that's super tough as an entrepreneur or anybody to be able to say, if you don't have that resting period, if you don't give yourself the ability to take care, to go to the gym or to just run a little bit or to be with your spouse or whoever, it's going to be tough. Uh, it's going to be on the long run, you know, for short sprints, it's okay. We all do it. And I think for us, my comment is, it's something that I tell people and it's hard to follow. You know, it's super tough. You're always thinking about it, thinking about it, and, and it has an impact and it can have a bad impact. So keep it in mind. Great advice and super, uh, as you mentioned as well. No, it applies to, 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 to everybody, not only yeah. entrepreneurs, but of course, most entrepreneurs in high growth ventures are under a lot of stress. So this sometimes can, can as well um, no, kind of cloud uh, judgment and, and make it more difficult to remember these sort of things. Okay, we get to the end. Very last question. We kept the best for the end. Um, while building Polaru, so we try to, to, to narrow down the scope a little bit. What has been your biggest mistake? I, if, if it's short, I would say what we, were, we mentioned before, and it's, it's wishful thinking. It's, it's, it's being so passionate and, so, and having such a clear um, view on what the problem is that you don't realize that people are not aware that they have the problem. And, and, and this could apply in many different cases to many different entrepreneurs or people who are starting something new that you have to be able to focus on what the end goal is, agree? You have to be able to keep uh, pushing forward and take all the hits, agree? But you have to be fast in identifying when something is telling you that you need to iterate or you need to change, and you have to be fast about this. You can't spend seven months developing something without being able to be on the streets speaking to clients. Because if after seven months, they don't want it or they don't understand it, you've thrown away seven months. You've learned a lot. You've moved forward. But um, I think to keep it short, wishful thinking is something that we all suffer from. And, and sometimes you need to be able to, to understand um, that, you know, sometimes you need to change the details to get to where you really want to go. Agree. Agree, and the fact that we're two out of different ones, so there's always two different options. I completely agree with David. The, the the one for me was, or the one that I think is also important is, ask for help. Ask for help more often. It doesn't matter from who. Like, oh yeah, Dio, hey, if you've done this, can you help me? Just sit down with other people because you're sharing your ideas. Maybe they can help you, but just the fact that you're expressing your problems helps you tangibilize what is your problem. And actually, most of the time, you're gonna get to the solution by yourself. But it's just the fact that you ask for some, someone external, not David and Sergio, my co-founder, someone external, you, David, whoever that I find. And then if you have investors, and to your investors, to your friends, to your colleagues, to other entrepreneurs, just ask for help. Ask for help. Don't feel like, oh, if I ask for help, I'm going to be dumb. It doesn't matter. Yes, you're going to be dumb and you're going to be dumb all the way. So always, always, always ask, ask for help or just share what you have in mind so people can give you a completely different point of view. And that's... I think something we haven't done that often and it should. And we're obviously right now doing it much more. Thank you very much to both of you. This has been extremely uh, insightful and I will say as well energizing to hear your uh, your positive approach. I will say very, very healthy 
approach to to entrepreneurship, but as well to to uh, you know to your personal uh, and professional relationship. So really, really, um, honestly, big thanks for taking the time as well uh, as you were talking about focus uh, to be uh, with us to share your thoughts. Uh, and all the best uh, from my side uh, to both of you moving forward. And I hope everything goes uh, goes amazingly well. And we, we can talk again uh, once you, you've built a unicorn or not. Uh, we know that <laughs> you'll be happy either way, which I think is the, the really positive message that kind of comes at the end. So thank you very much. Um, let's, uh, let's talk soon. And to the listeners, bye-bye. Ciao. We'll see you very soon. If you still want to learn more, remember... You can register on our platform, dobetter.asade.edu. That was all for today. Until next time, thank you. Do Better.